Hey everyone, this is OTR Rob welcoming you to Richard Diamond Private Detective Block of Shows and Richard Diamond Private Detective. And this Richard Diamond comes from 1951, March 23rd, Little Shiva. Spelled C-H-I-V-A, maybe Chiva, I'm not sure. And after that is Rocky Jordan from 1950, March 19th, The Perfect Witness. And I'm throwing out Barry Craig, and I'm putting in The Saint. Episodes that I have not presented to you before. And the first one is uh, The Saint that has no date, and the episode is entitled The Champ's Kid. And that's that, another Saint episode from 1947, from October 15th, my birth date. And it's called The Gangster D.A. I want you to enjoy all that, and I'll see you all back here next week. God willing, the creeks don't rise. But before we do hear from Richard Diamond, private detective, we'll take you to Stan Freebrooker. Enjoy. Welcome to Meet the Paint. I'm Stan Freeberg, and here with me are Mr. Bernie Umber. How do you do? And Miss Natalie Woodwork. Delighted. I've been a radio buff as long as I can remember. Longer, actually. According to my mother, there was a Philco table radio in the delivery room of the California Lutheran Hospital, dragged along by the nurse who hated to miss young Dr. Malone. I was born on August 7th between a Rinso commercial and the NBC Chimes, which makes me a Leo with Lever Brothers as my rising sign. Mr. Freeberg? Yes? We already read that joke on the back of this record jacket. Oh? Well, it's pretty small print. For those who couldn't quite make it out, I just thought I'd... Yes, well, uh, what's the point? Well, I go on to say on the back that I believe in radio because radio is dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. I don't see where you said that on the album, Jackin. You don't? Well, if I didn't, I should have. It has a nice ring to it. It certainly does. In other words, in radio, all things are possible, left to one's imagination, including mm-hmm. the demonstrating of paint colors, you know, which is why Pittsburgh is advertising on radio as well as TV. Oh, well, why... When did you first start creating radio commercials for Pittsburgh paints? Well, let's see. Uh, it was uh, the year I got my last booster shot. That was 19... Uh... Did you have any bad reaction from it? No, as far as I know, everybody at Pittsburgh Paint seemed to like the stuff pretty well. After I had mine, I couldn't lift my arm for a week. Wait a minute. We're getting off the track. Uh, in other words, when you suggested radio, there was no objection raised at the client level... I couldn't raise it to any level. Look, does radio have any impact? I mean, how many sets are actually in use today? Well, only about 400 million. 400 million radio? That was a figure for 1970. 98% of all homes have radios. Not even counting their cars, the average home has 5.1 sets in use. 
105.1. What kind of a radio is one-tenth of a set? That's a very tiny transistor just developed by a midget Japanese engineer with the Sony Corporation. It comes built into a caraway seed. Aren't those people amazing? Uh, yes. Well, uh, although apparently radio today has rapidly built into a veritable bonanza... I thought he said it was built into a caraway seed. Uh, are you saying Pittsburgh Paints will be advertising only on radio? No, no. A rather satirical bird I've created for them, the Pittsburgh Peacock, will be debuting in living color on network television any moment now. He's standing on the front of this record jacket. That's nice. Yes. While he's unfurling his feathers on TV, a new series of radio dramas I produced will be playing to help people think of color. And what's it called? I call it the Pittsburgh Paints Theater of the Air. Starting this spring, you'll be hearing them night and day. I didn't know Cole Porter wrote commercials. Well, they also play in the fall. Oh, yes. What about summertime? I think that was George Gershwin. Yeah, it was Gershwin. Yes, well, uh, is that about it now for, for the side of the record? Yes, except to sign off with two commercials. The first I wrote and produced for the radio industry, which demonstrates a little better what I've been trying to say about the power of radio. It's called Redecorating Lake Michigan and features a 10-ton maraschino cherry, among other items. Uh, that'll be followed by my demonstration of painting on radio, which you may have heard. And where is your new Pittsburgh Paints Theater of the Air? Now, to hear that, just turn the record over. Turn the record over. That's right, and put the arm down. I can now, but I couldn't right after I got my shot. Radio. Why should I advertise on radio? There's nothing to look at, no pictures. Listen, you can do things on radio you couldn't possibly do on TV. That'll be the day. All right, watch this. <clears throat> Okay, people, and now when I give you the cue, I want the 700-foot mountain of whipped cream to roll into Lake Michigan, which has been drained and filled with hot chocolate. Then the Royal Canadian Air Force will fly overhead, towing a 10-ton maraschino cherry, which will be dropped into the whipped cream to the cheering of 25,000 extras. All right, cue the mountain. cheering extras. Now, you want to try that on television? Well... You see, radio is a very special medium because it stretches the imagination. Doesn't television stretch the imagination? Up to 21 inches, yeah. Recognize this color? Sure you do. That's the sound of Pittsburgh Paints Mandarin Orange. Are you people mad? What? Painting the microphone. No, PPG has given Color TV a fair chance to show Pittsburgh's 720 precise colors. Uh? But while it may be okay to have green newscasters or, say, a fuchsia-colored Johnny Carson... On my set, he's more of a salmon. Ed McMahon is fuchsia. Whatever. Pittsburgh just has too many subtle variations for Color TV. That's why we're painting on radio. Watch your sleeve. Drop by a Pittsburgh paint dealer and see a veritable rainbow of colors. Kill the rainbow! A rainbow on radio? Was that a colorful rainbow? Fantastic! Except for those people with black and white radios. <laughs> there you go. The genius of Stan Freeberg. You'll hear more of those going down the pike. And I enjoy listening to him no matter, 
a dozen times, two dozen times the same commercial. They're just genius. And so was he. Enjoy. The makers of Camel Cigarettes present Dick Powell as Richard Diamond, Private Detective. How mild can a cigarette be? One puff won't tell you. One sniff won't tell you. It takes day in, day out smoking to find out how mild a cigarette is, how well it agrees with your throat. Make the sensible cigarette test, the thorough test. Smoke only camels for 30 days and see just how mild a cigarette can be. Transcribed is Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. It was about two o'clock in the afternoon. It was cold out, and it had been raining. When it got a little warmer, it would probably snow. The whole city was covered with a heavy sheet of ice, and the steam heat in my office gurgled and clouded up the windows. I was feeling pretty good. I was warm. I'd had one client in the past week, and my bank account was on its way to recovery, and a good breakfast in the drugstore downstairs had made me comfortable and drowsy. I put my feet up on the desk, leaned back in my chair, and closed my eyes. Mr. Diamond? I must have been napping and didn't know it. I hadn't heard the door open, but there he stood, framed in the door, resting his weight on the jam, and looking across the room at me with tired eyes. Mr. Diamond? Uh, yes, uh, what can I do for you? My name is Abel Gunther. I want to hire you. All right, Mr. Gunther, I charge you a hundred a day in expenses. I don't think I can pay it. I can pay you some, but I don't think I can pay you that much. Well, that's my fee for you or a Rockefeller. I got expenses. I see. Well, I'll keep looking. I need help. Perhaps you could recommend someone? Uh, you'll pardon me for saying so, but you don't look too well, Mr. Gunther. I'm pretty sick, Mr. Dan. Maybe you'd better sit down and tell me what your problem is. I can't afford the money. That's all right. Tell me about it anyway. I think I had better sit down. Yes, you better. What's wrong? You got the flu or something? No, no. I'm afraid it's a little more serious. Would you really like to hear my story? I think I really would. I'm a farmer, Mr. Diamond. My home is Haiti, near Saint-Lazare. Haiti? Yes. The West Indies. I, I was born there, raised there. My parents died when I was 13. I have a wife. She's there now, and she's the main reason I have come here seeking help. My wife is dying, Mr. Diamond. I must get help quickly before it is too late. I have a farm. He kept talking, telling me about his life on Haiti. He told me about his farm, a fairly good-sized farm by his description. He told me how in the past two years things began to go wrong on his farm. And soon all the farms in the area fires. were also having the trouble. The cane fields would burn every year. Then it was the cattle. 
One by one, they became sick. Then my wife, and now me. And you don't know what's wrong with either of you, huh? Yes and no. My Christian religion fights it, but my life on Haiti has taught me deep respect for it. Respect for what? Voodoo, Mr. Diamond. Oh, I, I know just what you're thinking. But a doctor in Haiti has examined my wife and can find nothing wrong. Well, I don't particularly believe in anything like that, Mr. Gunther. But if you do, why have you come to me? I said I have a healthy respect for it. I don't entirely believe it, but some of the things I've seen make it difficult to disbelieve. I came to you because I suspect a possibility of something more. Immediately after my wife was taken ill, I received an offer from my farm, a very low offer from a Saint-Légère banker. I investigated, found it had been made in the interests of one Arthur Cotswold. Arthur Cotswold? Katie's biggest planter. Oh. How about the other farmers? They received offers like mine. Being the oldest farmer, the rest looked to me for guidance. I told them to wait. Then I came here to hire someone to look into the matter. Would you like some water? No. No, thank you. All right. Uh, Anyone else become ill besides you and your wife? Yes. Several others. I... I have $368 in my ticket home. The money is yours if you will go to Haiti and investigate. Have you been to a doctor here in New York? No. Mr. Diamond here's directions how to get to my farm. My servant, little Sheila, is there. No one knows I came. Mr. Gunther. Mr. Gunther. Hello, Walt. Oh, Rick. Yeah. Better get up to my office. I've got a dead man for you. Are you kidding? That's what Gunther told me. Voodoo? Voodoo smoodoo. That's what the man said. Now, steady, boy. Oh, stop it, Walt. You know I don't believe it. But you're going down to Haiti. Well, somebody's got to tell a wife. The local authorities can do that. Hey. What's the matter? The local authorities in Haiti. Why didn't Gunther go to them if he thought there was something phony about the setup? You want an opinion? If you can strain one out. Well, Gunther probably didn't go to the Haiti authorities because he knew they'd think just what you're thinking. Okay, so I'm crazy. Well, Gunther died in my office. He came a long way for help, and the poor guy wanted to give me his last $368. So I'm going to Haiti. I'll send you a zombie. Walt promised to send a wire and care of the authorities in Saint-Léger as soon as he got an autopsy report on Mr. Gunther, and I headed to the airline's ticket office. By 8 o'clock that evening, I was in an airline's flagship at 12,000 feet heading for the West Indies and Haiti. The trip wasn't bad. We landed in Miami, where I grabbed a cup of coffee and then climbed aboard a clipper for Port-au-Prince. At Port-au-Prince, I took a bus to Saint-Léger and from there a beaten-up taxi to the Gunther farm about ten miles into the country. As we neared the farm, I could see a crowd of people standing around in front of the house. And as I climbed out of the cab and approached them, they turned and their hushed conversations were suddenly stilled. I didn't know what it was. No one said a word. But something was wrong. I could feel it. I walked through the crowd to the house and stopped cold as the door opened. Who are you? I'd never seen anything like him. He was a native and he ducked his head as he stepped out of the door to face me. He was a good seven feet tall, or maybe more. 
and must have weighed close to 300. He stood on his bare feet, his long, muscled arms hanging loosely at his sides, and looked at me with dark, shining eyes. Me, little chief, who are you? Oh, me, very little Richard Diamond. Mr. Gunther hired me to come here. You from New York? Oh, yes. Mr. Gunther couldn't come back. He died. That's right. How did you know? You come in? Uh, sure. What are all those people doing out there? Their friends, madam. She died too. Little Chiva led the way into the bedroom where Mrs. Gunther lay on the bed covered with a fresh white sheet. Her eyes closed in death, her face drawn and tired. Little Shiva told me she had died the day before, about three in the afternoon, and a cold chill ran up my back. I remembered her husband lying on the floor of my office about three o'clock in the afternoon, the day before. What do you do here? Uh, Mr. Gunther wanted me to find out why the cattle are getting sick, why the fields are burning, why he and his wife became ill. Bad voodoo. Well, he thought it might have something to do with a man named Cotswold. He big man. What are those drums? For madam and mister. They voodoo. Good voodoo. Give blessing for spirit for madam and mister. Oh. You, uh... You see, little chief, the mister, uh... Mr. Gunther wanted me to help him. He paid me money to help him and died asking for help. I'm going to try and do what I can. The madam and mister, good people. Teach little Cheever. They take little Chiva when he's small boy and make good life. You good man, little Chiva help you. Right then I inherited little Chiva. And if there was going to be any trouble, the giant servant would certainly help to make up the difference. The first thing I wanted to do was contact the local authorities in Saint-Léger. Little Chiva told me my man was one Inspector Laplanche. A very fine person, Mr. Gunther. I'm sorry he's dead. Well, how'd everybody know he was dead? On Haiti, things of such nature are never a secret. The natives know. Voodoo? Being a stranger to Haiti, Mr. Diamond, I expect you to be a skeptic. But uh, you believe in voodoo? Let us say I've been in Haiti too long not to believe. Well, Gunther thought the whole thing might have something to do with a man named Cotswold. I would suggest you forget Mr. Cotswold. Then I suggest you give me a good reason to forget him. Mr. Cotswold is a very big man on Haiti, the largest plantation owner on the West Indies, and a self-made man with a considerable temper. Well, thanks for the advice, Inspector. But supposing I come up with something incriminating. If Mr. Cotswold has breached the law, it would certainly be my duty to arrest him. But I am not considering the arrest. More, the necessary steps that would have to be taken to prove the guilt. Dangerous steps, Mr. Diamond. One might trip on those steps. And break his neck. Yes. <laughs> you like the middle of the road, huh? It is much easier to see what is ahead. It's possible to get run down from behind. I do as much as I can to prevent that possibility. Example... My suggestion, you forget, Mr. Cotswold. I left the philosophical inspector and went outside where little Chiva had been waiting. Every time I looked at Chiva, it was like a little kid spotting the Empire State for the first time. He smiled a mouthful of white teeth as he said, The inspector, he say forget Mr. Cotswold. That's right. What do you think, little Chiva? 
I think I do what you want. You know what I want? You want go see Cotswold. Hmm. Think I'm crazy? You're not afraid. You're not strong like little Chiva. But little Chiva think of all the men he know. You would fight hardest. I don't like to fight little Chiva. Little Chiva know that. We go see Cotswold. Little Shiva led the way up a long, narrow road surrounded on both sides by high sugarcane fields. Somewhere from not too far away, I heard the drums start again. Little Shiva stopped, looked off to the north. He began moving his shoulders, slowly keeping time to the steady rhythm of the drums. He began to sing softly. Say Papa New Keep a Passe. Oh, hey, oh, hey. Say Papa New Keep a Passe. What does that mean, little Shiva? It means in your language, it is our Papa who passes. Papa? Papa Dambala, the great source. Voodoo? Yes. Later I must leave you. Today is Wednesday. This is the day of Papa Dambala. He continued his little chant until we reached the beginning of a long high fence running along next to the narrow road. Shiva leaned down and swung a gate open. Then we walked up the path that led through the Cotswold property until we reached the house. There, sitting back between two huge trees, was the Cotswold mansion. I walked up to the front door alone. Mr. Diamond. Yes, Shiva? Watch out for Mr. Jocelyn. He guard Cotswold. Thanks, I'll do that. What do you want? I want to see Cotswold. You do, eh? What are you doing here, little Chiva? I wait for Mr. He found himself a new governor, what? You must be that fellow Diamond. Mm, I must be. Well, come in. Mr. Cotswold's been expecting you. He introduced himself as Jocelyn and led the way into a large panel study. And I met the big man himself, Arthur Cotswold. The drums stopped. Today is Wednesday. It belongs to the great god Dambala. Uh, so I understand. Most days of the week are significant in voodoo. Will you have a drink, Mr. Diamond? No, thank you. Jocelyn, mix me his gin and tonic. Yes, Mr. Cotswold. Thursday and Saturday belong to Uzele Frida, the goddess of love. I'll have to remember that. I know why you are here, Mr. Diamond. I'm glad you do. For some reason, Gunther and the rest of the miserable farmers think I'm responsible for their trouble. Of course you're not. I simply tried to help them. With their cattle sick and their crops gone, I had my banker make them an offer. Have any of your cattle taken sick? None. Pretty strange. Haiti is a strange land. Now, you're not going to start talking voodoo. You're a stranger, Mr. Diamond. There are many things that you would not understand, and I would certainly not try and convert you. Well, I appreciate your interest, but I intend to find out why Gunther and his wife died. At this point, I would most certainly give you advice on. Go home, Mr. Diamond. Leave well enough alone. After I come up with an answer. Mr. Diamond, I am not a patient man. I have gone out of my way to give you some healthy advice. Heed it. For your sake, heed it. No, thanks. I'll let you know what I find out. You persist in this investigation? I always persist. In fact, I'm the persistentist. 
Before we continue with Richard Diamond, here are a few words about smoking enjoyment. The things we look for most in a cigarette are mildness and flavor. You'll find both of these things in camels. Day after day and pack after pack. No other cigarette has camels' rich, full flavor. The flavor of costly tobaccos, properly aged and expertly blended. And no other cigarette gives you this proof of mildness. In a coast-to-coast test of hundreds of people who smoked only camels for 30 days, noted throat specialists reported not one single case of throat irritation due to smoking camels. Make your own 30-day camel test. Not just a puff, not just a sniff, but normal smoking for about a month. You'll enjoy every puff, and you'll know without question how mild camels are, how well they agree with your throat. Yes, and you'll see why. More people smoke camels than any other cigarette. How mild, how mild, how mild, how mild mild can a cigarette be? Make the camel 30-day test and you'll see. Smoke camels and see. And now, back to Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. I left Arthur Cotswold, cooling his fit with a gin and tonic, went back to Cheever, and he led me back to town. On the way, I got an idea. When we arrived in town, I sent little Cheever back to the Gunther farm. Then I went in to talk to Inspector Laplanche. The inspector had received a wire from one Lieutenant Walt Levinson, 5th Precinct, New York Police. Well, I had no idea the New York police were interested in this affair. They're always interested when someone drops dead. Now... Here's something pretty interesting, Inspector. Hmm? Mr. Gunther died of a disease known as brucellosis, commonly known in cattle as Bang's disease. Ever heard of it? I'm not a medical man, Mr. Diamond. Hmm. Well, it's undulant fever. Both Gunther and his wife probably caught it from their sick cattle. What do you intend to do? I think those cattle were infected deliberately, and the cane fields burned purposely. If the cattle were infected deliberately, there must be some of the brucellosis still around, and I'm going to find it. Maybe at Mr. Cotswold's. I think you'd better issue a search warrant and come with me. Mr. Diamond, the middle of the road, remember? I think you'd better forget the middle of the road, Inspector. Unless you want me to get in touch with the authorities and have you held as a material witness in a murder case. I... I will issue the warrant. I kind of thought you would. I will issue it, but you certainly do not think it will be enough to get you into the Cotswold house? No, but it'll make it legal. I sent little Cheever back to collect some of his friends. They're going to help us get in that house, Inspector. I will have no part of violence. Oh, they won't even be with us. It would be easy to search the Cotswold place if Cotswold was out fighting a fire. Fire? Just a harmless fire, Inspector. But far enough away so that Cotswold will think it's his cane fields. Oh, well, then I will certainly issue the warrant, Mr. Diamond. As long as we are going to do everything open and above board, I will certainly issue it. Mm. Welcome back to the gutter, Inspector. The view isn't much, but you can't miss where you're going. Let's go get little Shiva. Those natives doing at the Gunthers. I don't know. Looks like something's wrong. We piled out of the car and pushed our way through the crowd of natives. Inside the house, we found what was wrong. Lying in the middle of the room was little Chiefer. 
He was almost dead when I knelt beside him. I... I... I talked to friends. They light fire for you. Thanks, Chiva. Now... Dumbalo, where do take me? He's been stabbed. Nearly cut him in two. They got him from behind. Never would have faced him. You stay. You see, wait till non tete your mort. See what? It is a ritual. It means taking the spirit from the head of the dead. He wants you to see it. You stay. You believe voodoo. All right, Shiva. I'll stay. Now, who did this to you? Nazi. And back. He's dead. The next few hours I'll never forget. The inspector knew what was coming and he wanted no part of it, so he waited outside. I don't know whether I can describe it, but I'll try. And even though I saw it with my own eyes, I still don't quite believe it. The natives came into the house and picked up little Chiva. They placed him on a bench and the ceremony began. Some of them had already obtained the necessary items used for weighty loa non teti yomot. They included several live pigeons, olive oil, 30 pieces of fat pine wood, a pair of chickens, some coarse cornmeal and a saddle blanket, and a large white plate. Little Chiva's body was covered by the blanket and then the pigeons were killed and cooked without seasoning. The cornmeal was roasted, then placed in the white plate. The thirty slivers of pine wood were lighted and carried by the natives like candles. Then one of the natives took the white plate with the meal in one hand, and the pot with the chicken in the other, and approached the fire, chanting a strange dirge. I nearly ran out of the screaming Mimis. As he finished the last line of the chant, the dead body of little Chiva sat straight up with straining eyes, bowed its head, and fell back. You look a little pale, Mr. Dammer. Well, I can't understand why. Probably because my blood's hiding in my feet. What do you think of voodoo now? Well, let's forget it, shall we? I haven't got the money for a good rest home. Yeah. We are close to the Cachuelas. Good. Let's park it here and wait until the fire starts. The inspector and I sat in the car and waited while the moon climbed up over the clouds and the drums in the distance tangled my nerves into complete knots. After about an hour of waiting, a dull glow to the south started the expected commotion in the Cotswold household, and we climbed out of the car. Fire, Mr. Cotswold! The cane field! Fire! Hit the servants! Hit every man out there to fight that fire! It had worked. The inspector and I stayed to the shadows until the last man went running out of the house. Then we went in. We worked as fast as we could. We took the place apart. And I must say, the timid inspector had really gotten out of the middle of the road. He tore the place apart like he'd spent most of his time on a wrecking crew. I have not found a thing. Oh, the house is clean. Uh, there's a barn. Then let's go. We went out of the house and headed for the barn about 50 yards away. The drums were louder now, and the dull glow of the fire had nearly vanished. It was obvious that the inspector and I had to work fast. He took one end of the barn and I took the other. 
We worked toward each other. Just about the time I was ready to give the whole thing up. Diamond! Diamond! Inspector, you find something? This uh, hypodermic for cattle. That's not enough. This bottle hidden under this box? Well, it's more like it. Let's get it back to town and have it analyzed. That won't be necessary, Mr. Diamond. Cotswold. It was Cotswold. And he had three things on his side that made the situation very uncomfortable. His bodyguard, Jocelyn, and two guns. They stepped through the open door and moved up to us. I see you found my secret, Mr. Diamond. This is the stuff you've been infecting the cattle with. And this is what killed the Gunthers. That's correct. You see, you should have really taken my advice and returned to the States. You'll be held for murder, Cotswold. Who will convict me, Mr. Diamond? No evidence, no one to testify. I'm surprised at you, Inspector. I thought you had more sense. Sometimes a man finds his pride and does the best thing. You know, of course, I can't allow either of you to live. No, we had a hunch. Now tell me something. Who killed little Cheever? He was getting to be a nuisance. I had Jocelyn here attend to the matter. Ah! What's that? Diamond. Mr. Cosby, look! Well, now I want to tell you, I'd seen a lot that day, but that was just a little too much. The howl had come from the open door, and standing in it, framed against the yellow moon... It's him! It's little Cheever! No! No! But there he was, and he looked even bigger as he shuffled toward the two men, his arms swinging at his sides like two giant sledgehammers. He was going all the way. He hadn't just come back from the dead to sit up. He was taking a walk. Get away! Get away! You're dead! Shoot him! Shoot him! But Jocelyn was too terrified to even raise his arm. The big native reached out, grabbed him with both hands, and crushed him like an egg. For a minute, I was too stunned to move. Then when I saw Cotswold bring up his gun, I threw the bottle. It stopped him long enough for the big native to drop Jocelyn's limp body and charge in. Like an idiot, I had some stupid reason for wanting Cotswold alive, so I tried to head Cheever off. Ever try to stop a freight train with both hands out? He brushed me off, and I crashed into the wall just as he grabbed Cotswold. No! No! He picked him up, raised him high over his head, and threw him the length of the barn. Diamond. He's coming over here. Now, look, 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 old boy. It's, 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 it's me. It's me, Diamond. Little Cheever, please, I... Me, not little Cheever. It... What? I should have guessed. Should have guessed what? What is this? This is Big Cheever. Big Cheever? We, oui, me little Cheever's brother. Me pay back for kill little Cheever. Oh, good gosh. I never thought I... We, oui, me big Cheever. Come, I take you back to Gunther House. Little Cheever say you good man. I be your servant. Well, if you don't mind, I just think I'll head back for the States and lie in a warm tub of mud for the next six months. I... Oh, uh, tell me something, Big Cheever. What do you want? You don't have a big brother, do you? Dick Powell will return in just a minute. More doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette, according to a repeated nationwide survey. Doctors in every branch of medicine, doctors in all parts of the country, have again been asked what cigarette they smoked. Again, the brand name most was camel. Yes, according to this survey, more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. Friends, try camels and discover for yourself the reasons behind camels' great popularity. You'll enjoy Camel's rich flavor and cool mildness pack after pack and week after week. How mild, how mild, how mild, how mild, how mild can a cigarette 
Make the camel 30-day test and you'll see. Smoke camels and see. Here's Dick Powell with a special message. Thank you. Friends, nothing can boost your morale like a gift, especially if you're in a hospital bed. That's why the camel people send gift cigarettes each week to hospitalized servicemen and veterans in this country and overseas. This week, camels are on their way to Veterans Hospitals, Rutland Heights, Massachusetts, and Lyons, New Jersey, U.S. Naval Hospital, Quantico, Virginia, and to all hospitals operated by the Far East Command of the U.S. Air Force. Now until next week, enjoy camels. I always do. Men, has your pipe got your tongue? Well, switch to Prince Albert, the National Joy Smoke. PA's choice tobacco is specially treated to ensure against tongue bite. Yes, and it's crimp cut, too, for smooth, burning, and cool smoking. Get Prince Albert, rich, flavorful, and with a delightful natural fragrance. It's America's largest-selling smoking tobacco. Listen next week for another exciting transcribed adventure of Richard Diamond starring Dick Powell. This is your FBI. The official broadcast from the files of the FBI follows immediately. Stay tuned. This program came to you from Hollywood. This is the American Broadcasting Company. It's been Jack Benny, Amos and Andy, Bergen and McCarthy. Still waiting to entertain you on CBS are Rocky Jordan, Horace Height, Dick Ames and Joe Stafford, our Miss Brooks, the Whistler and Red Skelton. Now Del Monte Foods brings you a world of adventure with... Rocky Jordan. Hey, Rocky, that girl's got a gun. Yeah, I see her, Chris. Let's get up there. Look out, mister! Look out! That's all for tonight, lady. Give me that gun. Give it to me. I'll kill him. I'll kill him. I'll kill him. Any more, you won't. She didn't hit the guy, Rocky. He ran out the door. Don't bother with him, Chris. She'll tell us all about him. Won't you, lady? No! We'll try for more back in my office. Come on, let's go. I won't tell you anything. Never. All right, come on. Break it up, everybody. Let us through. No. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Yes, Del Monte, the best-liked brand of canned fruits and vegetables in the whole wide world takes you now to the Cafe Tambourine in Cairo, gateway to the ancient East, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. Tonight's Rocky Jordan story, The Perfect Witness. Cairo holds all sorts of lonely people, like the guy who sat at my bar the night of the 15th, with his coat collar turned up and a faded blue scarf that helped hide his face. I hadn't bothered about him till a girl with a good figure and a bad aim came in, throwing shots at him. The bullets had found nothing but the back mirror, and he was gone before I even saw his face. It happened that quick. I grabbed the gun away from her, got her into my office, and right away called Captain Sam Sabaya to come on over. After a while, she began to settle down, but she still had everything but answers. It'll do you no good to keep asking, Mr. Jordan. But we can keep looking, can't we? Hey, your purse ought to have some identification. Should it? Let's see. Passport made out to Cora Good. This belong to you? I'd hardly be carrying somebody else's passport. All right, Cora, let's take it for... Here, Chris. 
I just found this tie clip in front of the bar where the guy was sitting. The one that flew the coop. Oh, thanks. The initials B.G. Was this his, Cora? You're doing all the guessing, aren't you? What was his name? Come on, tell me, Cora. You'll find out soon enough. He's turned up dead in a gutter. Nice kid, ain't she, Ryan? Ah, skip it, Chris. Anyway, why should you care? Why should anyone care? Because it happens I don't like shootings in my place. What's more, I don't like people coming in here working out their problems at my expense. All you've got to worry about is a broken mirror. Captain Sabai is here, Rocky. Oh, come on in, Sam. Well, Jordan, I see your tambourine is having its usual busy evening. Her passport says Cora Good. Here's her purse and her gun. Now get her out of here. In a moment. I have not yet seen the victim. She missed him a country mile. But he hasn't stopped running yet. Who was he, Miss Good? You needn't expect me to tell you anything. Jordan? Well, we didn't get a look at him, Sam. He was sitting at the bar in your cafe, as you told me on the phone, yet you saw not what he looked... He had his coat collar turned up around his face, along with a big scarf. Mm. The inevitable Mr. X. I hate him. I'll admit that. I hate him. You will tell us much more than that. Never. You'll get nothing from me. At once, Miss Good, who is this man, and why did you try to kill him in this manner? Oh, throw the light in her face someplace else, Sam. This isn't the torture tank. As you wish, Jordan. Let us trust that the ride to headquarters will loosen her tongue... She walked out ahead of Sam, and I hoped that was the last of her. Knowing things just don't happen that way for me. But after a couple of days waiting without anything more from Sam, I began to wonder. And that's when somebody else came into my life. A clean-shaven, graying man with a neat mustache and dark continental dress who invited me to join him at a table in a tambourine. He introduced himself as Dr. Hugo Klost. A psychiatrist, Mr. Jordan. Oh, I see. Your office somewhere around here, Dr. Klost? Oh, no, no. Nice. I am in Cairo for only a few days. Well, don't miss the pyramids. Thank you. However, I think we have a greater interest in common. It generally happens that way. A former patient of mine, Cora Good. Oh, yeah. Former patient, you say? I, I had her under therapy some months ago in Paris, but she left before any real progress could be made. And that's what brought you to Cairo? Oh, no, no. I am here on quite another matter. I just happened to read in the papers about the shooting incident here in your cafe the other night, uh, a most unfortunate girl. Yeah. Did she have a habit of throwing shots at people? Oh, no, nothing that serious until now. A strange emotional disturbance which found outlet in various ways. I, I only wish I could help her. Well, she knew who she was shooting at, even if she won't tell anybody. Oh, I have no doubt of that. Maybe you'd have some idea who he was, Dr. Claus. Uh, that is the exact reason why I came to you, Mr. Jordan, to see if you could tell me who the man was. I don't know. Ah, too bad. Somehow there in the identity of that man lies the heart of her problem. Somebody like you might get it from her. I shall make every effort. Well, thank you for your time, Mr. Jordan. It figured Dr. Klaas wouldn't get any more from her. And I knew it for sure when some more days went by without any more word. But after what he told me, I did a lot of thinking about Cora. Call it some strange attraction or just a puzzle left unsolved, she kept staying in my mind. I was interested when Sam called me to come to his office. As you have guessed, Jordan, this is about Cora Good. What's she been telling you? Nothing more. However, the man whom she tried to kill has not appeared to prefer charges. Unless you wish to do so, Oh, then... no, not me, Sam. Then we cannot keep her in jail much longer. You're letting her go? She is to be released. Dr. Hugo Klost advises this move. Hmm. Our police doctor strongly concurs. And how does this concern me? Which is only that you might be seeing her again. What gave you that idea? You must find her attractive. 
In fact, she is quite a different person now. Oh. In other words, you want me to keep an eye on her, huh? Cora Gould is a girl with a very great problem, Jordan, which one such as you might find interested in solving. Sure, Sam. I get it. But no promises. We understand each other, Jordan. No promises. Well, it looked like Sam had an idea. And I wanted just enough about Cora to give it a try. So I flagged a taxi out in front of headquarters and waited at the curb till she came out the door. Taxi lady? What? Oh. Oh, Mr. Jordan. I thought we might be going in the same direction. Well, I don't know. No beefs, Cora. Hop in. I'll drop you wherever you like. You're very kind. Thank you. Uh, just drive it around for a while, Cabby. Wonderful to be out of that place. Yeah, the rest seems to have done you some good. So you've noticed, too. Yes, I do feel much better. Now, just keep it that way. Mr. Jo... Rocky. Yeah? I... I've got to tell you how sorry I am for all the trouble. I'd like to be forgiven. Consider it done. I guess I got a little rough myself. You had every right. You know, uh, I had a talk with a friend of yours... Uh... Dr. Klost. He told me. Perhaps he helped you understand. A little. He's still wondering the same thing I am. About the guy you shot at. Please, let's not talk about it. I want to forget everything. All right, Cora. Oh, you haven't told me where to drop you off. <laughs> Would you believe it? I, I don't know myself. My luggage is still at the airport. You'll have to stay someplace. You know Cairo Rocky... Could you recommend a nice place to stay? Well, let's see. Uh, I think you'd like the Acacia Court. It's not too expensive. Good. Now I can get settled and see this town like I've always wanted to. With some help from a guy who knows, Carol? What? Yes. I'd like that very much. Very much. <laughs> I stayed with her till she was settled, and we made a date for the next morning to do the town. I'd almost forgotten I was doing all this for Sam until I got back to the tambourine that night. A telephone in my office brought me right back to Earth. Hello, tambourine. I've got a friendly tip, Jordan. Who is this? I was at your bar the other night. Overcoat, blue scarf. Oh, sure, I might have known. The guy Cora shot at. Who are you? Somebody that says to watch it. She's going to lead you right into trouble. Come on, who are you? Clear it up, will you? Hello. Hello. He was there and gone, and I had just enough to know Cora's problem wasn't over, and that I had to keep our date for the next morning. She was ready and waiting. We started out by doing the bazaars. The Kamzawi with its porcelain and glassware. The Souk El Sela, all slippers and other footwear. The Bazaar Turk blazing with jewelry, gold work, and precious stones. We had lunch at a little place on the Nile. In the afternoon, we went to the races at Gezira. We were back at the Shepherds for dinner. After that, it was Cairo by night. I kept thinking about the phone call the night before and wondered what it meant. But Cora seemed to have forgotten everything. She was all excitement with everything, everything new. It seemed we'd known each other for a long time with nothing wrong anywhere. It was one o'clock in the morning when we were back by the fountain at the Acacia Courts, and I was telling her good night. 
It's been a wonderful, Rocky. Everything. It doesn't have to stop with tonight, you know. No. No, it mustn't. Is that how you feel, too? Enough to want everything right with you. Rocky, please. You're trouble, Cora. Is it all gone? Are you sure? Every bit gone. You must believe me. I'll keep trying. Thank you, Rocky. You know, I'll never forget the view from the Citadel. Can't we go there again sometime? Sure, any time you say. It's good to have something to look forward to. Just don't ever look back. Tomorrow, then? Yes, tomorrow. Good night, Rocky. Good night, Cora. Norman, Jordan. Uh, Sam, what are you doing here? I've been waiting. This doesn't go with our deal. I got nothing to tell you yet. On the contrary, Jordan, as you shall see. Come with me now, and quickly. Sam walked me to his limousine, waiting half a block down. I waited for more as we drove to headquarters, but he wasn't ready to talk. Not even after we got there, until we'd gone down some familiar steps and into the morgue. Then he stopped and took something from a table. I show you a blue scarf, Jordan. Can you identify it? It's like the one the guy was wearing, the one Cora shot at him like a cafe. And this coat? It could be his. I take it he's down here, too. This way, Jordan. Have you seen this man before? No. I told you I never got a look at his face. How'd this happen? He was found in his room at the Sholem Hotel. Shot, you see. You'd have the name, too, then. His name, Jordan, was Benjamin Good. Good? That goes with Cora's last name. Who was he, your husband? He was. B.G., the initials on his tie clip. I should have figured they tied in. Well, Cora's got to be told. Need anyone tell her, Jordan? Oh, now, wait a minute, Sam. You will be interested to know that I had Sergeant Greco waiting for her in her apartment at the Acacia Courts. Don't tell me. Yes, Jordan. Cora Good is again under arrest, and this time for murder. Del Monte Foods is presenting tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. Here in the West, we really do go for spiced tomato flavor, don't we? Put a Western favorite like fried shrimps on the table, and it's a sure thing somebody is going to ask for the catsup. You mean the Del Monte catsup, Larry. That's the catsup with the real, rich, lively taste we Westerners like. Yes, it's no wonder Del Monte is a top-ranking catsup and gaining new friends every day. Most folks recognize the taste of fine, genuinely vine-ripe tomatoes. And you get full enjoyment of that flavor in Del Monte catsup, thanks to its wonderful ingredient... Pineapple vinegar. That's the sparkling superlative vinegar that coaxes out extra goodness in catsup. And only Del Monte has it. Del Monte is catsup as it really should be. Well, that's no surprise to your women listeners, Larry. Remember, depending on Del Monte for flavor and quality in any food is an old Western custom with us. Friends, why don't you join the millions of others who are already enjoying this grand catsup? Its price is just as tempting as its flavor. So ask your grocer for Del Monte catsup next time, sure. And now we take you back to Cairo and tonight's Rocky Jordan story, The Perfect Witness. 
Well, this looked like where I'd come in. Only now, it was a lot worse. Just as I'd begun to believe that the problem that had made Cora fire the shots in my cafe was gone from her mind. But somehow she'd changed. Now she was under arrest for the murder of her husband. Sam left the office to handle some details, so I waited. Then he came back in, and Dr. Hugo Klost was with him. Well, I gather you got it all wrapped up, Sam. Should there be any question in your mind, Jordan? I'll tell you that when I see the witness. A witness is hardly necessary. Did you not witness her first attempt on Benjamin Good's life before we even knew who he was? It takes a lot more than that. Jordan, I'm most interested in your change of heart toward this lady. I can only surmise what has transpired. Look, you're the one who deals with facts. What are they? Corey Good refuses to deny that she killed her husband. Again, she will say nothing. Let's get on to item number three. A little question of motive. A motive which I now have. Well, come on, let's have it. Captain Sabaya, are we to understand that you know why Cora killed her husband? In this letter which was found on Benjamin Good's person, it is addressed to his attorney and instructs him to start divorce proceedings against his wife. Well, that's still not enough, Sam. Jordan, the letter also leaves little doubt that Mr. Good had strong documented evidence concerning his wife's personal life, showing her in the worst possible light. Such a case would have cut her off from everything he owned if he had lived. Hmm? All right, I'm getting it, Sam. If he hadn't lived... If Benjamin Good were dead before the divorce, all the legacy would go to his wife. The letter indicates that it would be a rather large amount. One rarely finds a motive as strong as this. A little too strong, maybe. Uh, I only wish Cora had told me about her husband before. Ah, but now it is too late. Yes, as you say, Dr. Klost. Uh, is that all, then? I must leave in a few hours. I am to attend a psychiatric meeting in Antwerp. I wish you a pleasant journey. Goodbye. Goodbye, Captain. Goodbye, Mr. Jordan. Perhaps we will meet again under happier circumstances. Yeah, sure, Doctor. Um, Sam. Mm. Mind if I talk to Cora? Alone? Certainly not, Jordan. I will take you to her. I followed Sam down a hallway to the dimly lit cell block. He unlocked one of the doors, and I saw Cora slump back in a corner of the cell. It was hard to believe she was the same girl I'd been on the Citadel with an hour before. Sam closed the door and went away. You didn't have to come, Rocky. It's only to help you, Cora, if you'll let me. Please, Rocky, it's no use. Did you kill him? You can tell me, Cora. Did you kill your husband? Why don't you ask Captain Sabaya? He'll tell you what he thinks. Yeah, and he's got a reason to go with it. Something about a divorce that might cut you off from everything your husband had. Is that the right one? It's a good one, isn't it? If I could get away with it. All right, Cora. But you've got to think about the trial. I can get you a good lawyer. I've already engaged one. Isn't there anything you want me to do? Tell me to go. And leave me alone. I gave it up and left it. It was daylight by the time I got back to the tambourine. Two hours later, the papers are on the streets playing up the case with big headlines. And every new addition added more to the story with all the evidence. And they made it look strong. I kept in touch with Sam, but Cora stayed as mum as ever. Another full day went by before there was any more, and that's when a briefcase with feet came into my office. Arisho T. Merkel, Mr. Jordan, attorney. Attorney for who? Attorney for Mrs. Cora Good. I represent her in a forthcoming murder trial. Oh, I see. Well, sit down, Mr. Merkel. Thank you. <sighs> now, Mr. Jordan, where were you on Tuesday, day before yesterday? Oh, hold it, Merkel. We're not in a courtroom. You refuse to state? 
All right, I was with Cora all day, seeing Cairo. Very well. And exactly where were you between the hours of 11 and 12 that night? We were at the Citadel. You're quite sure? Positive. And you will swear to that in court? Of course I will. What's this all about? Cora Good's defense, Mr. Jordan. Her husband was shot that night at approximately 11.30 in his room at the Sholem Hotel, five miles on the other side of town. Would you mind saying that again? That is all, Mr. Jordan. Thank you. And good day. I just sat there trying to make that one out. Why hadn't Cora said she couldn't have done it when she was first apprehended? A lot more questions came piling in, and I picked up the phone for a call to the Sholem Hotel where Benjamin Good had been found dead. What I learned there decided my next move. It took more than a phone call this time, and half an hour later, I was at a desk at the Cairo airport. The right kind of convincing got a man to check the manifest for incoming passengers for the past few days. And I waited. DWA Constellation, now loading at gate two for Algiers, Casablanca, Rome, Geneva, Paris. It is barely possible that I can help you now, sir. Well, how do we make sure? It is only that there is difficulty reading the manifests. My spectacles are broken. Here, take this pound note and buy us a new one. Ah, thank you, sir. Benjamin Good arrived from Paris by TWA at 5 p.m. on the 16th. The 16th? It couldn't be a mistake. It wasn't the 15th. Sir, do you think I cannot read? It was the 16th. I uh, just wanted to be sure. It was way too clear now. The shooting in my cafe took place on the night of the 15th. Cora's husband hadn't arrived in Cairo till the next day. So the lonely figure at my bar that night wasn't Benjamin Good. It was somebody else posing as him. Scarf, turned up coat and all, to plant the tie clip with his initials. It had taken me that long, from the night Cora had fired those shots till now, to find out what went on. Right away, I made a long-distance phone call. I wasn't satisfied with what I got there, so I made another call. Then I had it all. I went back and had a long talk with Sam Subaya. Then he let me in to see Cora again. Rocky, I told you I didn't want you to come here. All right, drop the act, Cora. We're all through doing things your way. Just leave me alone, please. So you can keep on using me as a sucker? Me, your perfect witness? What What are you saying? Come on, take some credit, Cora. The setup was great. Everything was to look like you killed your husband. But I was to be the one to prove you didn't. You were with me right at the time it happened. I never asked you to do anything. Sure you didn't. Why the delay? To give the real killer a chance to get away? Out of Cairo? Who was he, Cora? Rocky, I swear I don't know what you're talking about. But I do now. You knew there'd be a little checking up. The record shows there's a psychiatric meeting in Antwerp at the time Hugo Kloss said he was going there. Well? But you forgot another record. The one that says Kloss isn't a doctor and he isn't a psychiatrist. So he couldn't attend that meeting. He lied and he's been lying all along. Has he, Rocky? It's a safe bet Klaus never went to Antwerp at all. But he's hiding someplace else, waiting for you to be released. So he can meet you. And you'll wander off together with Benjamin Good's money. A swell story, but everything here say. You have nothing definite against Hugo, and nothing at all to prove that I worked with him. Yeah, that's right. What's more, you're my proof that I did not kill Benjamin. So you see, in spite of what you think, they'll have to let me go. All right, Cora. Let's look at it this way. Any way you like, Rocky. I can prove you didn't kill Benjamin. But I can also prove that you did. In just a moment, Rocky Jordan returns to conclude tonight's story. 
The way I hear it, meatless meals must be just about the hardest meals in the world to plan. But they can be easier and better to eat, too, with Del Monte tomato sauce to give you a lift. Why, of course, Larry. It has so much rich spiced tomato flavor, it makes meatless dishes taste heartier and, well, more interesting. But you'd better make sure it's Del Monte tomato sauce. Ask any good cook you know, friends, and see if she doesn't say the same. Del Monte is the original tomato sauce. That's why there just isn't any other brand of tomato sauce but Del Monte to so many of you. Because you've found it so good over so many years. And because no other brand has ever matched its special combination of fine tomato goodness and tempting spices. It's not too bland and not too spicy. Just perfectly balanced for cooking. That's what I like. Its flavor is so nice and clear. It adds lots of pep to the delicate flavor of cheese and eggs, for instance, but doesn't drown them out either. Why not get this help with your Lenten dishes? Just remember, for flavor, for texture, for consistency, it pays to insist on Del Monte tomato sauce. Back now to Rocky Jordan for the conclusion of tonight's story. So I'd been made the sucker, the perfect witness. First to prove that Cora Good wanted to kill her husband, now to prove that she didn't do it. When I told her what I knew about Hugo Klost and her whole deal to get her husband out of the way for his money, she looked like she was going to laugh at me. They'd still have to turn her loose on my testimony. Only then I gave her something more to think about, and the smile started to fade. You're not making any sense, Rocky. Well, a jury will decide that, Cora. You have no way to prove I killed anybody, and you know it. I try this one. Supposing I refuse to testify that you were with me last night. I was with you, though, every minute. But I'm your only witness, Cora. I can say where you were, and you go free. But what if I suddenly forget? What? You couldn't. Lapse of memory, let's call it. I was alone. I went snipe hunting out in the desert. You'd be lying. Think about it, Cora. Go into that courtroom with nobody to back up your story and you'll get the book thrown at you. So that's it. You came in here to threaten a confession out of me. Well, you'd better not try it. Because we were at the Citadel, you and I, from 11 till after 12 o'clock. I don't remember a thing about it. Not a thing. Rocky, what do you want? For you to tell the truth. Where Hugo Klost is hiding. You think I'd be so stupid. Tell it now, Cor, and you may not be executed. Admit Hugo Klost did the actual killing. You'll be convicted as an accomplice, but you'll get off easier. Rocky, listen, Hugo really doesn't mean anything to me. Oh, to somebody convenient, huh? Like I was. Hugo did it then, huh? Of course. Rocky, remember the way it was last night? It could always be like that. There's lots of money. Where is he, Cora? He took the plane to Tunis. How do we find him? At the Hotel Sahara, waiting for me. Thank you. It's all I wanted to know. Come in, Jordan. Come in. I trust you had a pleasant night's sleep. Yeah, finally, Sam. Any word back from Tunis? Indeed, there is. Hugo Claus was apprehended at the Sahara Hotel. He's being held for extradition. Thanks to your ingenious plan. My threatening not to testify for it? 
our plans, Sam. No. I must confess that when you came with the suggestion, I did not dream that it would work so well. Yeah. Cora wouldn't like knowing that. I fear that she has much more to worry about. So now we have a double trial on our hands. Why not try for three, Sam? You refer, of course, to the man wearing the blue scarf in your cafe that night? A plan to make us think she was shooting at Benjamin Good. He figures to be the same one who made the phone call later. There are many in Cairo who would assist in such doings for a prize. Oh, by the way, have you figured out why they used Cairo? They must have known that Benjamin Good would arrive here on the 16th. They worked out their plan from there. And it had to include me. Give me the reason for that. <laughs> the man with the blue scarf who aided them. He must have known of your reaction to a pretty face. <laughs> All right, Sam. Anyhow, I'm going to hand it to you. Why so, Jordan? You were right about Cara's motive all along. Mm, fortunately so. In spite of their elaborate scheme to cover for the crime, their own effort tripped them up. Well, I guess that'll be a lesson. A lesson that few will ever learn, Jordan. the finest in tomato flavor. Enjoy the whole family of Del Monte tomato products. Del Monte catsup and chili sauce. Del Monte tomato sauce and tomato juice. And Del Monte whole peeled tomatoes. Remember, buy wisely. Buy for flavor. Buy Del Monte. Del Monte, the brand you trust for flavor in so many good foods. Rocky Jordan, written by Gomer Cool and Larry Roman, stars Jack Moyles in the title role with Jay Novello as Sam Sabaya, and is produced and directed by Cliff Howell, with original music composed and conducted by Richard Arunt. Remember you have a date next week at the Cafe Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. Same time, same station, and the story is foolproof. For a truly delicious peach shortcake, buy Del Monte peaches, sliced or halves. Yes, whenever you want ripe, mellow, truly magnificent peaches, look for the world's favorite brand of peaches, Del Monte. Larry Thor speaking. Rocky Jordan is presented over CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Adventures of the Saints, starring Vincent Price. The Saint, based on characters created by Leslie Charteris, 
and known to millions from books, magazines, and motion pictures. The Robin Hood of modern crime now comes transcribed to radio, starring Hollywood's brilliant and talented actor Vincent Price as... The Saint. Hello? Mr. Templer? Yes? Joe Collins. Remember me? Joe, sure I do. How are you, Tab? It's been a long time. Yeah, I know. Hey, your fight's still on for tomorrow night? Yeah. Uh, say, could you do me a big favor, Saint? Could you come down to the gym right away? Sure, but what is it? I'll tell you when you get here. I need to talk to somebody I can trust. I need to real bad. Well, I'll phone for a cab and be there in 20 minutes. Oh, thanks, Saint. Thanks. Oh, don't thank me, Joe. After all, I've got a bet on you tomorrow night. I've got to protect my investment. You got a bet on me? Call it off, Saint. Call it off. What? So long. Yes? It's Louie, Mr. Templer. Your cab is here. Oh, come on in, Louie. I'll be with you in a minute. Uh, maybe you should better open the door right away. Well, why didn't you come in, Louie? The door was... Shh. A... He's asleep. Oh? Who's asleep? Mr. Templer. Look down. Louie. It's a baby. You are so right. But why did you bring him here? I found him here. On your doorstep, Mr. Templer. Louie, don't you look at me that way. Who ain't opened his mouth even, Louie? Well, uh, well uh, let's get him inside. Uh, you want to carry him? Maybe you better. Oh, all right. Uh, up we go. <laughs> oh, he's waking up, Mr. Templer. <laughs> He's cute. Yeah, he is. <laughs> what's your name, old fella? Oh, Donnie. Hey, he talks. Uh, what's your last name, Donnie? Donnie. Donnie, Donnie. Huh? Uh, how did you get here, Donnie? Donnie. Here, let me try him, Mr. Temple. I got away with kids. Donnie, tell your Uncle Louie how you got here, huh? Oh, Donnie. It's a gold mine of information. <laughs> Wait a minute, look. Hey, there's a note pinned on his coat. I understand that's traditional in such cases. Oh, Donnie. No, just a minute, Donnie. Here. Please, please, keep him for a few days and don't tell anyone. Not even the police. Sounds like trouble, Mr. Templer. Yes, it does. Well, I guess you won't be needing my cab now, huh? Oh, hey, the cab, I forgot. Louis, mm-hmm. uh, how are you as a babysitter? Who, huh? oh, oh, no. Oh, wait a minute, Mr. Templer. I'm a cab driver. You can't drive while you sit. My local's got rules. That, that, uh, I'll be back that, in an hour, Louis. Well, uh, just to make it official, I'll borrow your cab. Hey, 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 what do you... Well, <laughs> it looks kind of funny on you at that. Hey, look at the funny man with the hat, Donnie. Huh? Isn't that funny? No! <laughs> I'll see you later, Louie. Come on, kid. Use a little, little more left there. Get your shoulder into it. That's it. That's better. That's... Excuse me, but uh, where could I find Joe Collins? Hold it a minute there, kid. Hold it. The chef? Yeah. Well, he's right there, my friend, on the table. We're getting the rub down. We? Yeah, Chadwick's the name. Sam Chadwick. I'm the chef's manager. Oh, I'm Simon Templer. Joe said he wanted to see me. Oh, we did, eh? Well, I don't remember us doing that. Well, let's go in. Come on, let's go in. Take a blow, kid. I'll be right back. Uh, how's Joe feeling? Oh, we're in the greatest shape of our lives. The greatest. That fish shelly hasn't got a chance tomorrow night. Don't belong in the same ring with us. Uh, two against one hardly seems fair. Two against... Huh? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, here we are, Mr. Templer. Hey, Chip, you know this, Chip? Sure. How are you, Saint? I'm good, Joe. 
have you been? In a pig, the absolute rose-colored pig. I've been all right. That's enough, George. Thanks. Hey, you want to talk now, Joe? Got here as soon as I could. Talk? What about? We got anything to talk to Mr. Templer about, Chip? Saint, uh, the fact is, well, well, I'm sorry I called you. It was a, a mistake. It sounded pretty serious, Joe. Well, I, I guess I, I'm worked up for the fight tomorrow night with Michelle. You get, well, Jumpy, it's the training that does it. Yeah, sure, that's it. We're on edge, you know. Raise a sharp condition. We always get this way right before a fight. What else? It's a sign. Shut up, Sam. What? Sorry I bothered you, Santa. I'm sorry. And if you're sure you don't need me, I guess that's it. Yeah, sure. And look, if you want to make yourself some easy money, Mr. Templer, sock it on a champ to win tomorrow night. We won't even draw a deep breath. I've already got my money down, Mr. Chadwick. On Joe. Ah, that's great. That's the greatest cinch bet of the entire Shut season. Shut up, Sam. Saint, call off your bet. No. I think you're a pretty good man, Joe. In the ring and out. <laughs> Morning, Louie. Hi, Mr. Templer. Came over as soon as I got your call. Mm. How are you? I'm not so good. A heavy responsibility being a father. Yeah, I'm getting some help, fortunately. I phoned an employment agency, sent over a nurse. That's a shrewd move, Mr. Yeah. Templer. There's nobody quite has a woman's touch like a woman has. Uh, you know what I mean? Well, it's deep, but I'll figure it out. Come on in and see Donnie. Where is he? In bed. Oh, keeps pretty late hours. Mm, you'd be tired, too, if you said Donnie 15,000 times a day. <laughs> Donnie! How are you, Donnie, old man, huh? <laughs> if you like talking this morning, huh? watch me. Watch me get some information out of him, Mr. Temple. You mm -hmm. just got to be firm. Yeah, well, I wish you luck, Louie. Donnie, what's your last name? Who brought you here? Where are you from? Huh? Donnie, Donnie, Donnie. At any rate, he's consistent. <laughs> oh, that must be the nurse. Mr. Templer? Yes, come in. Thank you. I'm Miss Barton, Mr. Templer. The agency sent me uh, over. Right in here, Miss Barton. Miss Barton, this is my friend Louie. How do you do? And your charge, Donnie. <laughs> Hello, Donnie. <laughs> well, he seems to approve of you, Miss Barton. Ah, oh, he's beautiful, Mr. Templer, don't you think so? Louie and I consider him one of the most beautiful babies we have ever seen. Right, Louie? Right. Talks fluently, too, says Donnie. <laughs> Come here, darling. I've got to have to go out for a while, Miss Barton. Miss Barton. What? Oh, excuse me, Mr. Templer. I said I'll have to leave for a short while and I'll be back. We can discuss arrangements then, huh? Arrangements? Oh, oh uh, anything will be all right, Mr. Templer. Uh, anything at all. Well, I'll call if I'm more than an hour. Goodbye. Goodbye, Donnie. Goodbye. Hey, tell your Uncle Louie goodbye, Donnie. Donnie. Well, better than nothing. Uh, where to, Mr. Templer? I want to go see Kid Fischel, Louie. Well, the guy that's fighting Collins tonight. Huh? Yes. I wasn't at all satisfied yesterday that Joe Collins didn't have something to tell me. Something going on there. Mr. Templer, you got Donnie. How many mysteries can you handle at one time? Well, sometimes one and one can be added together to get one, Louie. What does that mean? Just a hunch, as yet. Oh. <laughs> I thought they came out with a new multiplication table. I ain't even learned the old one yet. <laughs> well... Shall we be off, Mr. Templer? Uh, there is an obvious answer to that, Louis, which I shall spare you. Let us, by all means, be off.
Yes? My name is Templer, Simon Templer. Uh, they told me down at the desk this was Kid Fischel's suite. It is. Come in. Thank you to desk school, Mr. Templer. One of Kid's sparring partners. How are you, chum? How do you do? My name is Alexander. Fritz Alexander. You manage Kid Fischel? I look after him. And very well, too, eh, Frankie? The best, Mr. Alexander. Uh, can I see the kid, Mr. Alexander? Unfortunately, right now he's sleeping. Go down to weigh in for the fight in an hour. Well, then perhaps I can talk to you about the fight, huh? It would be a pleasure. I can discuss the kid by the hour and never tire. I'm quite fond of him, you see. He's a perfect young machine. Strong, healthy, handsome. He wants the championship. He shall have it. Nothing can stop him. You sound quite confident. I am. If I didn't think he could win, I wouldn't send him into the ring tonight. I wouldn't take a chance on his being hurt. I won't have him hurt, you understand? Uh, don't worry, Mr. Alexander. He ain't going to get hurt. Yes. You see, Mr. Templer, I can become quite emotional over the kid. Usually I'm, I'm not an emotional man. I see. And does uh, Joe Collins know that the kid is not to be hurt? He knows. You're telling me that the fight is fixed? Hey, watch your mouth, chum. I'm not telling you anything, Mr. Templer. But whoever you are, whomever you represent, remember this. The kid wants the championship. And he shall have it. Because I find pleasure in giving the kid what he wants. And if anything or anyone stands in my way... No, Mr. Templer. I refuse to be worried by you. The kid will not be hurt. Good day. Mr. Alexander said good day, chum. Thank you for interpreting, Frankie. And Mr. Alexander, my money still rides on Joe Collins. In that case, Mr. Templer, I hope you can spare it. Good day. So long, chum. Mr. Templer! Mr. Templer! Been looking for you. Uh, what is it, Louie? I called your house to check if everything was all right, like you told me, and Miss Barton said Sam Chadwick had been calling, wants you to call right away. Hey, that's Joe Collins' manager, Louie. Wonder what he wants. I don't know, but it's supposed to be urgent. Here's the number, and there's a phone booth out here by the elevator. Oh, thank you, Louie. Hello, Mr. Chadwick? Yeah, yeah. Who's this? Uh, Simon Templer, Mr. Chadwick. Oh, Mr. Templer, hey, I've been trying to get you. I've been trying to get everybody that Joe knows. The champ is gone. Gone? Gone where? I don't know. There's 50000 already in the box office for the fight tonight. He walks out. He can't do this. You mean we can't do this? You're in on it, too? Oh, skip it. Have you got any idea where Joe went to? I think he went out to get blind. The guy must be crazy. I'll find him, will you, Mr. Templer? You've got to. Well, I'll do what I can. I'll pay. I'll pay anything. Anything. Within reason, that is. The fight has to go on. Well, I'll do what I can. This is one fight I wouldn't like to miss. This must be about the last bar in town, Mr. Templer. I ain't hit so many bars since the night my nephew went into the Navy. <laughs> Well, if we don't have any luck here, I'm about ready to give up, Louie. Well, come on, let's give it a try. Yeah. <clears throat> you see him? No. I... Yeah, yeah, I do. Down at the end of the bar. She looks sober? I don't know. You wait here, Louie. Yeah. Hello, Joe. Huh? Oh, hello, Saint. What brings you here? Looking for you, champ. You've been drowning your troubles? 
No, I started to, but no. I'd forgotten I was champion, and when you're champ, there's a pride that goes with it. I'd forgotten I had that pride. Care to tell me what's wrong, Joe? I'll tell you. Sure. Maybe I should have told you yesterday, but things got very bad after I phoned you. How bad? I can't win this fight tonight, Saint. You can't beat Kid Fischel? I can't try to beat him. They won't let me. They got my son. Huh? Who's they, Joe? Alexander, I guess. He had somebody do it. I knew he was a little crazy, but I didn't think he was that crazy. I guess Marie was in on it, too. Marie? That isn't your wife. Was my wife. She left me right after the kid was born two years ago. She's no good. And if you don't let Fischel win tonight... Yeah, it's nice, isn't it? What can I do, Saint? Joe, what's the name of your son? Don. Donnie. Come on. Well, what for? I'll explain in the cab, Joe. We've got to get to my place right away. This way, Joe. Right behind you, Saint. So, Mr. Templer, the front door is so... open. Donnie. Donnie, boy, are you here? Donnie! Wait a minute, Joe. What? Behind that couch. That's Miss Barton. Oh, no. Marie. Marie? Yeah. Donnie's mother, Louie. Joe's wife. Marie. Marie. She hurt bad? I don't know. I... Here, now, let me help you, Joe. I... Oh, I'm afraid. No. Marie. Marie, can you hear me? Oh, Joey, I... I didn't know what they were doing until yesterday. Then I got Donnie and left him here where he'd be safe. Then this morning... I took the place of a girl who was sent over as a nurse, but... I guess they followed me. Who did? Alexander? No, no, not him. He sent somebody. They took Donnie. I, I, I tried to stop them, but they... Where did they take him? Do you know? I, I think the training camp on the river, right above Milford. I know the one. Joey. Yes, Marie. Isn't Donnie the most beautiful boy you ever saw? Marie. I know that this is what all mothers say, but isn't he really? He is, Marie. And Joey, when he gets old enough, will you just tell him, just tell him that his mother loved him very much? Just that, not all the rest. Just that, Marie. Thanks, Joey. You're a... <sighs> Marie. Gave her life for Donnie. Yes, she did. Now we've got to find him. I'll find him. And if they've done anything and... No, Joe. If you do find him, they might. Well, look, I'll go after him. I'll go along, Mr. Templer. I don't like the guys that did this. Thanks, Louie. You better go down to the arena, Joe. And we'll let you know as soon as we can. All right. I guess it wouldn't be much use in finding Donnie. I'd probably put him in more danger. Joe, do you want me to... No. No, I'll look after Marie. She was my wife. This looks like the place, all right, Mr. Templer. Want to look through that window where the light is? All right, Louie. Come on. 
wind. Oh, keep down, Louie. I'm going to take a look. What did you see? Yeah, this is it. Danny's in there and that pug Frankie that I met with Alexander. You think we can take him? I think so. He's listening to the radio. Come on, let's see if we can get in the back way. If you say so, Mr. Templer. Come on. You got that tire iron, Louie? Not only have I got it, I love it like a brother. Good. Here's the kitchen door. Is it open? Yeah, we're in luck. Come on in, Louie. Quiet. And here at ringside, we're watching the introduction of various celebrities by the ring announcer before the Collins Bichel title go. Pat Novotny, clever young welterweight from Syracuse, has just been introduced from the ring, gets a nice hand, and now there goes... Uh, I spar with a guy two months, and the night he's to win the title, I'm playing nursemaid. <laughs> what are you laughing about? Oh, darling. Ah, uh, shut up. Louie, stand beside the door. I'll try to get him out here in the kitchen. And when I do... Just get him out here, Mr. Templer. I'll take it from there. Here goes. Hi, Frankie. What? What? Who's that? You've got company. Who's in there? Little boy, Blue. Wise guy, are you? Well, you'll end up so full of holes that you'll look huh? like a... Ah, <laughs> bullseye, Louie. That was for Marie, Mr. Templer. Yeah, it should keep him quiet until the police get here. Maybe I should give him another one for myself. Yeah, I know how you feel, Louie, but no. Let's get Donnie and get out of here, huh? Sure, Mr. Templer. How are you, Donnie? Glad to see you. Say hi to your Uncle Louie, Donnie. Yeah, Donnie. Can't you say hi? <laughs> hi. Hi. <laughs> I learned him a new word. How about that, Mr. Templer? Now he can say two words. Yes, you have a way with you, Louie. Sure. Now, what do you say to Uncle Louie, Donnie? Oh, hi. That's it. And what's your name, Donnie? Oh, hi. Louie, you should have given up while you were ahead. Come on. Going there, that's a champ's dressing room. Nobody allowed in. Fight's not over, is it? Uh, not yet. Sixth round, but Collins has taken an awful pace, and I was just up there. Look, kid, get this straight. There isn't much time. Go up to Joe Collins's corner. Tell him Simon Templer has Donnie here safe. Have you got that? Sure, but I can't go up there and here, tell him. Here, look, does this persuade you? Yes, sir, Mr. Templer. Thank you. I'll, I'll tell him right away. Okay. Come on. Let's go in and sit down, Louie. Donnie's about all in. Yeah, look at him. He can't keep his eyes open. Why couldn't we go right up to Joe's corner ourselves, Mr. Templer? Couldn't risk it with Donnie. I couldn't tell what Alexander might do. Oh, yeah, sure. Oh, poor Joe. You think we got here in time? I don't know, Louie. I don't know. I must be taking a beating and can't fight back. Yeah, but he can now. If he's got anything left to fight with. Quiet up there now. Must be the end of a round. Mm. See, that crowd noise, I, I, I never heard it from down here. You know, it, it scares you. It should, Louie. The voice of the mob howling for blood. Same voice that howled in the Colosseum at Rome 2,000 years ago. For whose blood? The champs or for shells? Mob doesn't care, Louie. Just blood. Yeah. Scares you. What makes people go to these things, Mr. Templer? Will they ever stop? No, they, they go because this is an allegory of their own lives, Louie. They'll stop when their lives cease to be conflict and pain. And when will that be? It's hmm, a good question. Hey. It's starting up again. Yeah, but it means the champ is still on his feet anyway. Come on, Joey boy, come on, come on. Mm. Hey, uh, is, 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 is it wrong to root, Mr. Temple? Well, we're all part of the crowd, Louie, one way or another. Yeah. yeah. Oh, something is happening up there. They don't yell like that for nothing. <laughs> come on, come on, Joey. Come on, Joey. Do it. You can do it, Joey. 
Donnie's down here. You can fight now, Joey. Careful of that tire iron, Louie. Oh, sure, sure, sure. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. The straight left, champ. Come on, the straight left in the face. Joey didn't cross with the right. Oh. What am I talking about? I can't even see him. Come on, Joe. Come on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you too, Mr. Templer. Yeah, me too, Louie. Uh, something happened, Mr. Templer. That was too short for a round. That was a knockout. It was, Louie, but who? Yeah, yeah, who? Oh, keep everything crossed, Mr. Templer. Fingers, toes, eyes, everything. Maybe he didn't get our message, Louis. Mr. Templer, don't say that. <laughs> well, soon now it sounds like people coming down the hall outside. Yeah, but Joey couldn't have won. Oh, boy, he would have had too much taken out of him. He couldn't have come back after the... Oh, it was a great show! Hey, we took him, Mr. Templer! We took him! Oh. Clear everybody out of here, will you? Yeah, you hide us, everybody out! Come on, give us a chance to get our breath, will you? Everybody out! Come on! Come on, will you, fellas? Come on! Come on. Come on, will you, fellas? Come on! 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 Donnie. Come on, now, wake up and say hello to your daddy. No. No, let him sleep, Saint. I'm not very pretty right now. But you should see Fischel. You clobbered him, champ? Good. He was a very surprised young man. Yeah. How about Alexander? I don't know. I didn't see him after it was over. I rushed right down here. And I'd better get the police on his trail. He might be able to get away if I don't tell them to... Alexander. Joe. Did you think you could get away with it? And Joe... Did you think I'd stand by and see you? That gun must be heavy, Mr. Alexander. You'd better put it down. No. The police won't like your negative attitude. What do I care? After what he did to the kid, you think I care any more about anything? The kid will be all right. He was just knocked out. Just, just. That beautiful physical machine, blooded, battered, stretched out in the dirt. Oh. Do you think the kid can ever feel the same again? Do you think I can ever feel about him as I did? He had the championship. Had it. Before Collins double-crossed us. That's one way of looking at it. Why didn't you keep out, Mr. Templer? Why? Put the gun away, Alexander. You haven't a chance. Maybe I haven't. But neither have you, Collins. I warned you not to hurt the kid, but you wouldn't listen. You're a sick man, Mr. Uh, Alexander. Perhaps I am. Perhaps the world is sick and I'm well, but I know what I'm going to do. You first, Collins. You know how the kid felt. Mr. Alexander, I'm afraid you'll have to take care of me first. Stop where you are, Templar. Don't come any closer. I'll warn you once more, Templar, and then I'm going to... All right, Louie. Oh! Oh! Nice work. Lucky I kept this tire iron. Yeah. You know, I think he was serious. I don't think there's much doubt about it. A very twisted man, Mr. Alexander. Hey, look. Donnie's awake. You got a smile for your old man, Donnie. Oh, Donnie, hi. Hey, he knows a new word. How about that, Saint? Ain't that some kid? He's another champ, Joe. I'll be a champ in something. Not in this racket, but something good. Something he can take a real pride in. He'll be proud of you, Joe. He'll be proud of his mother, too. After I tell him about her. Just a minute. 
Hi, Mr. Templer. Well, look who's here. Hi, Danny. <laughs> Champ, let me take him out for a walk. Hey, you know what, Mr. Templer? I've been teaching him all sorts of words. Honestly, Louie? Mm-hmm. The smartest kid there is. Watch this now, Mr. Templer. Watch. Danny, what's my name? Why? <laughs> How about that? <laughs> He's a smart kid, huh? That's not all. Now, watch this. Danny, what's Mr. Templer's name? Boy. Uh, something go wrong? No, no, wait just a minute. Wait a minute. Donnie, Mr. Templer's name. Boy. All right, something else. Donnie, where do you live? Boy. Donnie, what's your daddy's name? Boy. No. Goodbye, Mr. Templer. Goodbye, Louis, 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 Louis. <laughs> You have been listening to another transcribed adventure of The Saint, the Robin Hood of modern crime. Now here is our star, Vincent Price. Ladies and gentlemen, there are certain things in our daily life which we take for granted. Only when we are deprived of them do we realize what precious commodities they really are. Air may become the most vital thing in the world to the suffocating man and water to the thirsty one. In the same way, freedom, when it is missed suddenly becomes life's greatest treasure. In this country, we possess freedom. It is part of us. It is our American heritage. This liberty which we so casually accept was created and nurtured. It didn't just materialize. And so Americans are justly proud of their heritage, and much of the world around us is fascinated by it. If we are to justify our own pride and the yearnings of those in other countries... We must make this freedom a personal thing. We must take it as it was handed to us and preserve it. Preserve it with conscious effort. That is our job as Americans, as free men. For freedom is everybody's job. This is Vincent Price inviting you to join us again next week at this same time for another exciting adventure of the saint. Good night. This adventure of the saint was written by Dick Powell. In our cast, you heard Larry Dobkin as Louie and Mary Shipp as Marie. Sheldon Leonard played Sam and Bonnie Phillips Joe. Donnie was Jerry Hausner and Victor Rodman Alexander. Frank Gerstle was Frankie. The Saint, based on characters created by Leslie Charteris, is a James L. Safier production and is directed by Helen Mack. Vincent Price is soon to be seen co-starring with Errol Flynn and Michael Prell in William Marshall's production of Bloodline. All you Saint fans will be glad to know that the Saint comic books are now on all newsstands. Your announcer, Don Stanley. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Who's on the big show tonight? Well, listen, Bob Hope, Dean Martin, and Jerry Lewis, Rosalind Russell, Frankie Lane, Dorothy McGuire, Louis Armstrong, Meredith Wilson, and glamorous, unpredictable Tallulah. No wonder it's the big show. And Sunday evening also means another outstanding production by Theater Guild on the air. Tonight, it's Boomerang, starring Kirk Douglas. Remember, Bob Hope and Martin and Lewis joined the big show today on NBC. Men, you're using your hair to get ahead when you groom your hair with trim hair tonic. For trim, groom hair in a handsome, natural way. 
set you apart as a man who's going places. And trim does more than merely groom your hair. It's the first and only hair tonic made with pure virgin olive oil, nature's finest hair and scalp conditioner. So trim conditions your scalp as it grooms your hair. Try this amazing new pestilent product. Yes, try trim hair tonic. Quick and easy, never greasy. It's easy to look trim with trim. created by Leslie Charteris and known to millions from books, magazines, and motion pictures. The Robin Hood of modern crime now comes to radio, starring Hollywood's brilliant and talented actor, Vincent Price as The Saint. Come in. Oh, now it's you again. Yes, me again, Shane. I told you I'd be back for an answer. And I told you what the answer would be, McGath. I like this town. I'm going to stick around a few more days and finish up my business here. Like I said, Shane, it ain't your business. And the boss is up the price to five grand for you to skip. Five grand, Shane, just to leave town and forget you've ever been here. That's not my price, McGath. Well, then what do you want? Why, make an offer. I want the man who killed John Daniels. Daniels? Treasury Department guy? Yes. What do you got to do with him? He was a friend of mine. I want the boy who cut him down, McGarrett. That is one boy you ain't gonna get, Saint. Oh. Oh, the big shot did it himself. The eh? big shot did it himself. And then I'll settle for him. <laughs> you settle in your grave first. You're gonna have to make an awful lot of first downs to step across that goal line, Mr. Templin. Oh, I've got some trick plays I expect to use. Deception against power. It sometimes works, McGarrett. I always heard you were a smart pants. <laughs> I guess I heard wrong. You think I'm tough? Tough enough. Well, just wait till you see what you've got to go through before you even get within hard calling distance of the big shots, eh? What do you see? And to top it off, there ain't but two guys in this town even know who he is. Who are the two, McGarrett? Goodbye, Saint. Uh, Martini and Shaw are the best undertakers. And who are the two guys who know who the big shot is, McGarrett? Don't come no closer, Saint. This gun spits poison. Lead poison. Yeah, that gun looks good on you, McGarrett. It sort of rounds out the picture of what the well-dressed bum is wearing this season. Stay where you are, Saint. I'll show you what the well-dressed snooper wears in this town. A perforated vest. Now keep back there. Keep back there. Thank you. I'll add this piece of lethal hardware to my collection, McGarrett. And if you don't start the sort of conversation piece, I want to hear you go into my collection, too. <laughs> I don't know nothing. I know, but I'm not interested in your lack of formal education. It's the name of two people I'm concerned with. I don't know. Oh, oh, oh my, my arm. Let go of my arm. The name. It was just Dame. She, she knew Mr. Big, the only Dame he ever went for. Dame named what? Rose. Rose Taylor. Let go of my arm. Another name. Kill me if I tell. I'll kill you if you don't. The other name. Al Boston. Al Boston. Let go. Very well, McGarrett. Rose Taylor and Al Boston. I warned you, Saint. You ain't scoring against this team. You better get... I heard you, McGarrett. Now, as my old grandmother used to say, out, bum, out. <laughs>
I know you? Not yet, Rose. Not ever. Come now, Rose. Is it polite to shut the door on a man's toes? I give you my word I'm not a brush salesman. Why, I haven't got a brush to my name. Then I'll give you one scram, mister. I don't like snoopers. Stop pushing you. All right, so you're in. So what do we do now, dance? Yes, or uh, sing, perhaps. You couldn't buy a song from me. Not even a little song? A man's name? Who? The man behind the men behind the guns, Rose. Mr. Important. That's no small music, mister. That's the whole opera. Are you afraid of him too, Rose? In this town, the best way to stay healthy is to stay afraid. I'm scared of everyone, mister. I'm even scared of you. Maybe I should have taken off the pumpkin head when Halloween was over like the rest of the children. You've got a bug buzzing inside you, mister. It's going to get you killed unless you stop it from asking the wrong kind of questions. What's your target, anyway? My target? The electric chair. And I intend to dump my ammunition squarely in it. A man named John Daniels was killed by a man I'm going to meet very soon. You're dead, mister. You're all dead. All that's needed to make it legal for the buzzards is for you to lie down. Oh, you're dead. Well, as long as I don't know it, it won't hurt me. You better go. If anyone knew I was within ten yards of a guy as red-hot as you, mister, they'd burn me down, too. Please, go. Where can I find the big shot? I never heard tell of any big shot. You're barking up the wrong tombstone, mister. You're a morbid little girl, aren't you? Like I said, in this town, death is always looking in on you. Anyone you meet can be the butcher, even you. Now go, I'm scared. What if someone tailed you to me? What if... What's that? Shh. You were tailed. You must have got into the fire escape and... Now, get down. Oh, you were tailed. Rose. Rose. Yes. Yes, I was tailed. Too bad you were the one who had to be tagged. Well, Mr. Templer, I'm glad you decided to visit the office of the district attorney voluntarily. It does save you the embarrassment of my picking you up, doesn't it? Yes, Mr. Richards, but it also saves you the embarrassment of trying to pick me up. <laughs> Why this sudden desire to entertain me, Mr. Richards? I'm not entertaining you, Saint. I'm holding you for murder. I repeat, why? You were in the same room when Rose Taylor was killed. Oh? So the least I can do to uphold my oath of office, Mr. Templer, is to jug you. As, uh, shall we say, a material witness? It's nice material, Mr. Richards. But it makes a badly fitting suit. Why was she killed? Because she was one of the two people who knew the name of your local head, Crumbum. She told you? I wasn't given enough time to convince her that she should before someone decided it was the 4th of July. But there are other ways to search him out and make sure he keeps his date. His date, Mr. Temple? Yes, with a chair that men sit in only once. A certain John Daniels was a friend of mine from childhood. I was a pallbearer at his funeral, Mr. Richards. And so? The bullet in his back made his coffin awfully heavy. It got heavier in retrospect when I heard the district attorney had called the case closed. I had to close it. I'd gone up every alley and they were all dead end. There were too many live cases that needed my staff's attention. I know. So I'm playing it my way. I've gone up the same blind alleys in the past few days. 
Now I'm in an alley with a freeway at the end of it. You mean you know who killed Daniel? Yes. It's the number one, the big shot himself. Now all I have to do is learn his name. Here's huh. that all. And of course, take him. Yeah, I'll have to lock you up for your own safety. You should, but you won't. In fact, you can't. No? No. Because I took the liberty to do a little, uh, press agenting. You what? I told the newspapers that I'd be here both today to have a talk and tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock to deliver a murderer. The people in this town might not approve of your not giving me the chance. All right. Until 10 tomorrow. I'll expect you, Mr. Templer, with or without your victim. I'll be here. I know you'll be here, Mr. Templer. The only question is, will you be here dead or alive? Yes, I... Oh, you startled me for a moment. I, I thought you were someone else. Who, Mr. Tempest? Someone who couldn't possibly walk up to me on the street. Who are you? Her sister. Rose Taylor's sister? The late Rose Taylor's sister, Mr. Tempest. But does one call you saint? It doesn't matter. Why did you kill her? There's only one possible answer to that. I didn't. I don't believe you. No. Don't reach into that pocket, saint. Not unless you're completely bored with life. Bored? Oh, on the contrary. So far, my life with you has been one continual round of excitement. Next, I suppose, you'll suggest we fly away to the castle. Something like that. Only I have the bar up the street in mind as the place to fly away to. I don't drink with people I don't trust. So let's fly my way. Come. And in case you're thinking of lingering, remember, I've got a hand on my pocketbook. And a thing that isn't convinced you didn't kill Rose. I bet it's a 25 with a mother of pearl hand. You win the bet. It's a small gun, but when the bullets hit, they feel big. Come. Where are we going? Someone wants to see you. And you were delegated to all me in a mere girl with a mere 25. I wasn't delegated, mister. I begged for the job. I'm flattered. Don't be. I begged for the job because I was hoping you'd try not to come. Rose was my only sister. Come on, come on. One more question before I decide whether or not to be shot or hijacked. Uh, whom are we calling on? Al Boston. I'm his secretary. He wants to see you. Rest your trigger finger, lady. That's exactly what I feel like doing, too. Trust by robbing you. It's all in the record. 
I got him telling me I'd smartened up. Nobody knows it, Saint, but your pal Daniels was here in town on my private invitation. You mean you sent for the Treasury Department? Sure. It's like this. The big boy pulls in seven figures a year on his businesses. And naturally, he don't pay no taxes to Mr. Wiscoff. Naturally. There's a fortune to our uncle in back tax stuff. Only our uncle don't know he's got it coming. So I thought he should. Out of patriotism, of course. Yeah, out of patriotism. They always treated me so nice in Leavenworth. Out of patriotism and 10%, think. 10%? Yeah. That's what Uncle Sammy's got me in for, for helping to catch a tax target. Trouble was, the boss got wise to what Daniels was up to and gave him one through the lungs. Well, how fortunate he didn't get wise to you, Al. Yeah. But I've smartened up, Saint. I've smartened up. Nothing's just came out. Feels like ledgers. Oh, yeah, I've been expecting that, Jack. I better get into these books right away. Uh, I'm going out. Goodbye, Al. Goodbye. Another set of books to juggle, Al? Yeah, from one of the joints. I better open this up and see which one. Al, stop it! Get down! Al! Serve up the bomb, didn't you? Books. I didn't know the bomb was there. 
coming, Al. Yes, Mr. Boston is deader than the city he named himself after. There'll be others unless you... I know all the answers with that one. And even if I did... You wouldn't tell me. How right you are. I'm too young to die like Rose did. I'm not in a new racket. I don't know. It's amazing how few people in this town admit to knowing anything. <laughs> Must be graft in the public school system. No. Fear. The nervous system. The only thing people in this town aren't afraid of is getting arrested. They've been in cities like this before, Jackie. And in nine cases out of ten, when the local Mussolini was eliminated, the lesser rat scampered off the ship. It's a big hunk you're sitting off of yourself, Robin. I wonder if you can swallow through. Goodbye. You're leaving? And I was beginning to enjoy our conversation. <laughs> Also, the Chanel number five and uh, everything else. I noticed you were enjoying yourself. Pleasant memory. Where are you going? I'm going to find a safety zone. I'm leaving town. Don't be surprised if you get a postcard with a picture of the Arch of Triumph. Goodbye, Jackie. And uh, good luck. You're the one I need for luck. I hope you get him. Rose was a good kid. I'll get him. She was a good kid. And, uh... Thanks for the nice fat tip. Tip? I don't know what you're talking How convenient of the newspaper to keep its reference files open at night. Are you a professional busybody, or have you an axe to grind, too? Oh, dear me, I'm not a busybody, Mr. Templer. Nor do I have an axe to grind. Merely a gun to shoot, Mr. Templer. You know, someday, somewhere, a man will come up to me on a dark street and merely ask me for a light. I doubt it. I'm afraid your saintly stay in this world of tears and chaos is drawing to its close, Mr. Templer. This time you've poked up the wrong fire. You seem nervous, Mr. Templer. Who are you? Does it matter? We'll be acquainted such a short time. Oh, I'd just like to know who it is that I am to come back and haunt. Very well. I am known to the exceedingly few who know me as the Professor. The Professor. <laughs> I've had guns pulled on me by cops, cranks, crooks, and coroners, but I believe you're the very first Professor. I don't think it is illusion you, Mr. Templer, but I was merely an assistant Professor. Oh, I'm still impressed. If you don't mind, the car's over there. After you, Professor. Please. No jokes. I assure you this is a most serious matter. Come. Here we are. You will get in, please? Oh, after you. Oh, no, I forgot. You're not in much of a mood for joking, are you? No. Not unless the joke is mine. Like this one. Oh. You hit him just a little harder, boys. You could have saved yourself some bullets. I tell you to drive the car, Stephen, not to offer suggestions. Okay, boys. Where through the country? First, we'll go to the place, Stephen. There are some questions I want Mr. Templer to answer. Questions that may require a soundproof rule. <laughs> Someone like you. I, I didn't think I deserved that bad a dream. Ready but unbowed, eh, Mr. Templer? 
For a moment, I was afraid I might have been a trifle too energetic on your skull. I hate to boast, Professor, but my skull's been creased before by experts. In fact, it has more treads in it than Goodrich puts in his tires. Still fond of your little jokes, I see. How unfortunate they must be wasted on me. You see, I'm a humorless man. So I've noticed. I brought you here to ask you some questions, Mr. Templar. You should have warned me, Professor. I'm afraid I didn't come prepared for a quiz. I have various means of preparing you, Mr. Templar. So to begin, to whom did you describe your suspicions concerning a certain man's identity? A certain man? You wouldn't be meaning the big man, would you? The head rack? I have reason to believe you know who he is. Whom have you confided in? Not prepared, Professor. Shall we try the question once again? Yes, but something tells me you'll never pay me the $64. Oh, I can't tell you how impatient I am for your answer, Mr. Templer. You see, after you finish talking, I have other things planned for you. How nice of you to take me a mere stranger in tow like this. I must remember to return all your courtesies uh, when you untie me. Oh, talk. Anyway... To the district attorney. Yes, I read about your boast to emulate the Northwest Mounted by bringing in your man to the district attorney. A pity you won't keep the date. Uh, what is it, Stephen? I thought you might be wanting me for something, boy. No, Stephen. When I want your... Stephen, the door. How many times must I tell you to keep it closed? You fool. You know how I feel about an open door. But, but no bugs came in, boy. There practically ain't any this time of the year anyway. You tell me. A former professor of entomology. Mr. Professor. Please, Stephen. Three but once before I do something we'll both be sorry for. Okay, boys, okay. Fool. You know, it took me a little time to catch on to your particular type of insanity, Professor, but I see it all now. Do you, Mr. Tabler? Professor of entomology, eh? The study of insects. <laughs> and you studied them so hard, Professor, you cracked silence. You're not in the classroom now with your students and your specimen bottles, Professor. You're in the big leagues now, in the World Series, Professor. You got to know everything there was to know about insects, didn't you? You knew them so well you became afraid of them. <laughs> Shut up! It is something to get afraid of when you turn your imagination loose on the subject, Professor. When you consider how many millions of insects there are for each human being. Stop it! Stop it! There's a fly on your sleeve, no. Professor. Stop it! I think I just almost killed it. Stop it! Look, I'm off! Stop it! Stop it! Over there! Stop it! Quick, it's the Professor. Moses, Moses, spiders! Spiders! Moses, untie me if you want me to help you. You have to, Professor. It's over there, Professor. And there's a centipede! Moses, Professor, Moses. After all, Professor, my old grandmother used to say, that's to you. So you kept your word, Mr. Templer. You're here. And alive. Yes, I'm here. Despite the obstacle course of desperados I've run through since our last little talk, Mr. Richards. I'm sorry to say I don't see your prisoner, Mr. Templer. As I recall, you were to dish up the head crumb up. <laughs> I suppose you couldn't bring him in. No, I couldn't bring him in. You see, he already was in. 
I beg your pardon? Don't beg my pardon, Richard. It's the governor's pardon you want, and you know, I don't think you'll get it. Are you crazy? No, just slow-witted, it seems. Being a district attorney is a wonderful cover-up for a crumb bum, isn't it, Richard? You're insane. Am I? You sound insane, Mr. Templer. Rushing in here, threatening to kill me, calling me a crook and demanding money. I want... Oh, oh, I see. Of course, I'd be perfectly willing to forget all of these things. And the various other offenses I find it so cozy to dream up. If you'll just quietly leave town and pretend you were never here. You mean just force from my memory some of the happiest moments of my life, Mr. District Attorney? Oh, no, you're asking too much. Then it looks as though we've reached a stalemate, Templar. Unless, of course, one of us chooses to get violent. Once I catch a murderer, Mr. Richards, I leave all further violence to the state execution. Once you catch him, Templar. Right now, you seem to be in the disturbing position of the hunter who caught a tiger by the tail. Put up your hand. Huh? Oh, you mean over my head? <laughs> You're a bug-crazy professor. Made me keep them at my side. Templar, who gave me away? It was a remark I heard, Mr. Richards. I was told that the only thing in this town people aren't afraid of... Is getting arrested. So? So I checked Mr. District Attorney's record in the newspaper files. You have an abominable batting average, Richard. People, your people, were literally getting away with murder. Yeah. How clever of you to know. You controlled the gang because you could set them free, and so you also controlled the racket. I know, but you still have to prove your story, Mr. Templer. Oh, it's already done. I took the trouble to switch on your uh, intercom, Richard. I'm afraid our conversation wasn't very private. Why, you... And now, Mr. Richards, our personal business. Before the police get here... Keep your hands up high. Certainly. Certainly. Is this high enough? Or shall I raise them higher? So I can reach this chandelier? Oh! 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 Have a nice nap, Mr. Richards. I'm sorry I tore up your chandelier, but my old grandmother always taught me to put out the lights before going to sleep. new trim hair tonic. It conditions your scalp as it grooms your hair. Yes, trim's the amazing new peptidant product. It's the first and only hair tonic made with pure virgin olive oil, nature's finest hair and scalp conditioner. Ask your barber for a professional application of trim hair tonic. And get a bottle at your favorite toilet goods counter. Ask for trim. It conditions your scalp as it grooms your hair. And all Vincent Price. Ladies and gentlemen, it was Robert Blair in the 18th century who best expressed the fate of our greedy Mr. Richards when he wrote these words. O cursed lust of gold, when for thy sake the fool throws up his interest in both worlds, he's lost in this, condemned in that to come. I sincerely hope you enjoyed tonight's show, and will be with us again next week for another adventure of the saints. Good night. <laughs> Tonight's story of the saint was written by Michael Cramoy. Music was composed and conducted by Bill Fontaine. Vincent Price is appearing by courtesy of Universal International Pictures, producers of Ride the Pink Horse. Stay tuned in now for The Whistler, which follows immediately over most of these stations. And join us again next week at the same time for another adventure of The Saint. 
the Robin Hood of modern crime, brought to you by Trim Hair Tonic. T-R-I-M. Yes, Trim, the first hair tonic with pure olive oil. T-R-I-M. Trim conditions your scalp as it grooms your hair. T-R-I-M. Trim hair tonic, quick and easy, never greasy. It is easy to the trim with trim. Wendell Niles speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.